We are going to be continuing the series that we're doing uh, on John's gospel, Signs of Life. Um, We are still in John chapter 4. We have looked recently at the Samaritan woman. We have looked at the disciples coming back uh, and and Jesus um, spending time with the people in Samaria uh, and, and how many of them come to believe because of what they have what they've heard. Um, We'll continue now, John chapter four, verse 43, through to the end of the chapter, if you are following in the Bibles and the pews, it's on page 1068, page 1068, uh, John chapter four, uh, starting at verse 43 and reading through to the end uh, of the chapter. Jesus heals the official's son. So Jesus has been in Samaria. And we begin verse 43. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. We end our reading there and we ask God to add his blessing to his word. Let us pray. God, we do just that. We ask you to add your blessing to your word. As we think about what has been shared with us here, the second miraculous sign that John mentions. Lord, may we see what that sign is. May we understand what it is and may we, we understand it in its proper place. And may we recognize that it points us to you. And as we read the story, may we see you and may we be drawn to you. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's a, there's a series on, on the BBC that we, that we enjoy watching. I don't think there's a new series, season out yet. Um, Death in Paradise. Do any of you watch it? Um, we, we really enjoyed it. So it's, a, it's a very Agatha Christie kind of um, series, murder mystery on a, on a Caribbean island. Uh, and there's always a, the, well, the, the detective always uses his own unique methods of, of, of solving the crime. And there's, there's, there's always something that happens um, in, in the episode. You can be sure that, um, that you'll come across this in every episode. At one point, the, the lead detective, whoever it is in, in that particular season, um, will, will look at something 
something that, that seems to be unimportant, something seemingly minor, and, and, and one of the other policemen or policewomen working alongside him will ask him, what is it? And he'll say something along the lines of, oh, it's probably not important. But when he says that, you can be sure that, that whatever it is, um, it is important. And in this passage from John's Gospel, there are a few verses, a few lines, a few words um, that we can easily look at and pass them by because we think that they're, they're not important. They're not important when we look at the rest of the story. But as I've mentioned once before here from the front, that, that when we come across words um, or verses um, in our Bibles that seem to have no bearing on, on anything else that's happening around them, or, or they might seem um, like a strange thing to say in the middle of what's happening, we must take note of that. Because so we can be sure that what we're thinking is probably not important, it probably is very important. The, the context of our story um, is that way back in chapter two of John's gospel, Jesus goes to a town called Cana. He goes there for a wedding celebration, and it's there that we see him perform his first miracle, or, or as John calls it, his first sign, his first miraculous sign of, of turning water into wine. Once the wedding celebrations are over, we see that he then travels to Capernaum and then goes on to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. And after the years he has been in Jerusalem where we're also told that he, he performs um, some, some miracles, um, he then travels through Judea on his way back to Galilee and on that journey it takes him through Samaria where he has met with a Samaritan woman uh, and, and she brings along her entire town to hear what Jesus has to say and we're told that, that many come to believe that he is the Messiah based on what um, they have heard. It tells us that he stays there for two days and then we began here by saying that after two days he then returns to Cana, um, the location of his first sign and now the location of his second sign. And the story seems simple enough as we've read it. Jesus goes to Cana while he is there. The people um, are excited about him being there because they know that they've heard or they've seen the things that he has done. And, and a man who is part of the royal household, um, who, who works in the household of, of, of King Herod, um, hears that Jesus is there. And he travels to Jesus because his son is sick and he wants Jesus to heal um, his boy. And, and so Jesus does. And this, John says, is the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed. Signs that John tells us later in his gospel, he gives us so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. But there is so much more that is going on in the story than just a healing miracle, if I can even downplay a healing miracle as, as just something. But there is more than the healing miracle that is happening here. And it all begins with the opening verses um, of, of this passage. Verses that we might have just seen um, as, as a simple introduction. After two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival for they had also been there. Now, these verses might just seem like a simple introduction to, to the amazing story that's gonna follow. Let's get through these opening verses, let's jump into the meat of the story. 
But I believe that these verses are absolutely key to what John wants us to understand and wants us to see in the story, the sign that he wants us to notice and that God wants us to learn about himself and about our belief in him that brings us life. After spending two days in Samaria with people who were despised by the Jews but who welcomed him and believed all that he told them, Jesus comes back not just to Jewish territory but he comes back to his own place. He comes back to Galilee, his home province. And we're told in this little side note that Jesus himself had once pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And yet in the next verse, what we read is, is that when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They welcomed him back to his own place. And this is one of those places where we stop and we ask, well, what is going on here? Because in one verse we're told that a prophet has no honor in his, in his home country, and yet in the very next verse we see that Jesus is welcomed by the Galileans. But what helps is to see why they welcomed him. It says they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. John 2 tells us what happened in Jerusalem, what they had seen. John 2 verse 23 says that while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in him. But then also in verse 24 and verse 25 of chapter 2, it goes on to say this. It says that Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So what's going on here? In John 2, we're told that people believe in him, but we're also told that Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them. And in John 4, we're told that a prophet has no honor in his own land, and yet we're also told that those people that were in his own land welcomed him because they had seen him do amazing things in Jerusalem. And that's the thing. Their enthusiasm for Jesus their, their, their welcome was entirely dependent on Jesus performing signs and wonders. I think what we're seeing here is, is, is maybe a forerunner of what we might call today the cult of celebrity. These people welcomed Jesus because he was one of their own and because he had done amazing things. That's our boy there. That's our Jesus. He's one of us. He and his dad made our kitchen table. I remember when he was just a quiet little kid, just this quiet guy, nobody said he would amount to anything, but I thought there was something special about him. Come on, Jesus, do something special for us. You're one of us. And, and we love it too ourselves. If you watch X Factor, if you watch Strictly Come Dancing, there's always that episode when the celebrity goes back to their hometown, goes back to their school, and everybody cheers and welcomes him on. He was one of us, I remember teaching him when he was just a, a, a teenager. And inevitably what they have to do is they have to perform. They have to do something. If it's X Factor, they've got to sing a song. If it's Strictly, they've got to do the dance. But they've got to do something because that's what the people have come to see. And perhaps maybe here in Balamina, I don't know, I've not heard it before, but maybe you're proud that Liam Neeson comes from Balamina. No, apparently not. <laughs> Well, I'm proud that, that, that um, two-time World Cup Springbok captain um, Sia Khaleesi comes from my hometown of Port Elizabeth. It's only four more years, only four more years. <laughs> 
Jesus had become a celebrity in his own province because of the amazing miracles he had performed. But it's misplaced, which is why Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to them, why he wouldn't invest himself in them, because he knew them. He knew what was in each one of them. He knew why they were so enthusiastic about him being there. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe how different these people were from the Samaritans who weren't given any signs and wonders but who believed because of what they had heard. We believe because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Now I'm not saying signs and wonders are a bad thing. They form the basis of John's message in his gospel. He tells us that himself. He says that I've given you these signs and wonders so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But the signs should not form the basis of our faith, and that is what is happening here in Galilee. The people of Galilee saw Jesus as the miracle man. This is the man who does things. So if Jesus didn't do things, if he didn't perform miracles for them, who would he be to them? Who would he be then? They were excited by the signs, but they weren't excited by the one that the signs pointed to. John's reason for writing about these seven signs so that we could see the person that they're pointing to, that we could see that the one that they're pointing to is the Son of God. Don't look at the signs, look at who they're pointing to. And our danger can be that our faith in Jesus is based on what he has done rather than who he is. And the potential problem with that is that if our belief is based on what God has done, then what will happen, sorry, then then, then what happens then when he doesn't do what we expect him to do? Our faith becomes a transactional faith. God, you do this for me and I'll believe in you. And now that I believe in you, you must do these things for me. But that is not how faith should be. And that is not how God works. And that is what Jesus is demonstrating in the story to us. Jesus is welcomed in Cana because of his miracles and then here comes a man desperate for Jesus to perform a miracle. He went to him and begged him to heal his son who was close to death. Sir, come down before my little boy dies. And as we read these verses, what we see here is Jesus has two options. Jesus gives in to the people and performs another wondrous miracle and everyone is amazed and the little boy lives. Or Jesus refuses to give in to the demands of these people and this little boy dies. But as ever with Jesus, there is a third way. With Jesus, there is always a third way. And that is the way of grace. And in following the way of grace, what Jesus does is he teaches this man and us an important lesson about faith. What Jesus does in effect is tell the crowd, I'm not gonna give you that wondrous sign. I'm not gonna give you that miracle. We're not gonna bring the boy here and you're gonna see me lay hands on him and suddenly he's gonna be healed. He isn't gonna give them another miracle that's gonna make them go ooh and ah. Look at this miracle man. 
What Jesus also does, he gives this man the opportunity to put his faith completely in Jesus, to take Jesus at his word. The man was there in Cana with Jesus. His son was sick in Capernaum, 20 miles away, nearly two days journey away. And when Jesus says to him, go, your son lives, Jesus is saying to the man, trust in me, trust in my word. Jesus didn't do the dramatic and yet what he did was amazing. Because when the man encountered the people from his household the next day, he discovered that his son had been healed at the very moment that Jesus said to him, your son lives. Power in the spoken word of God. Your son is living and the son lived. Let there be light and there was light. This man chooses to put his faith in Jesus not because of the signs and he is not disappointed. We are never disappointed when we put our faith in Jesus rather than in what Jesus can do. Signs are good, signs are helpful, but they have a specific purpose. And that purpose is to point to something or to someone where we need to be. Not too long after Joanne and I arrived in Ireland in 2002, we were living in Port Leash, uh, in, in County Leash, and we, we went to, to a party with friends in, in Arklow on, on the Wicklow coast. And later that evening, we traveled back to Port Leash, and I think we had to go through Carlo to get, to get back to Port Leash. Um, and the route that we followed took us over the mountains. And, and I remember shortly after leaving Arklow, we saw a sign that pointed to Carlo, that was the direction we needed to go to Carlo. But then for miles and miles and miles after that, we didn't see a single sign. We were traveling over the mountaintop and we saw no signs. And obviously we're, we're, we're worried now, are we, are we on the right path? Are we going the right way? Have we missed a turn off somewhere? Have we missed a sign? And then I remember us coming into a small town and feeling so relieved when we got into that small town and we saw another sign that said Carlo in, in, in that direction reassuring us that we were still heading in the right direction. We were still on the path, on the journey to the place that we were looking for. Signs are good and signs are helpful, but they only have a purpose of pointing us to where we need to be, to where we need to go. They are not the destination themselves. John gives us seven signs in his gospel, but they have a purpose. And that purpose is not to bring life, but to point us to the one who can bring life. And so to draw this message to a close, I want to go to back to something I said early in the sermon about a relationship with God. Is your relationship with God transactional? Do you love God because of what he has done, because of what he promises to do, what you hope he will do? Or do you love him because of who he is? I wonder sometimes if we put too much focus on the cross. Too much focus that we lose sight of the man who once hung on that cross. Do we love Jesus because he died on the cross? Because he did that for us? Or do we love Jesus because this man, this God, died on the cross because he loves us so much? because he was willing to do that. 
He is the great I am, he is not the great I do. Do we love him not because of what he has done, but because of who he is? The cross is not the destination, it is the sign that points us to the God who loves you so much that he would be willing to lay down his life for you. Do we love God because he created this beautiful world? Or do we love God because this is a God who wants us to live in a beautiful world? Faith that is based on the things that God does is is, is a faith that will crumble and fall when God doesn't do what we want him to do. It's a risky faith. It says this is the God who does good things for me. But what is it, what happens when we're waiting for God to do a good thing but but he doesn't. Don't believe in Jesus because he performs miracles. Believe in Jesus because his miracles point to a God who is loving and gracious and who wants to bring life to people and to places that seem destined for death. This second sign isn't a sign about a man who heals. It is pointing to us, us to a man who is the son of God. A man who has all authority, that when he speaks words of healing, healing happens. That is the authority of the God that we worship. A God who says that if you believe in me, I have the authority to declare you righteous. I have the authority to say that you will have victory over sin that death no longer has a hold over you. The signs of life are just signs that point to the one who brings life. Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These signs that John gives us, these signs of life, are not what we come and worship. The people of Cana saw Jesus as the miracle man, the man who does amazing things, the celebrity. Who do you see Jesus as? Why do you worship God? Why do you follow him? So that he can do wonderful things in your life, perform miracles for you because you believe in him, That's the deal, God. I believe in you, now you do good things for me. Or do you believe in him because he is so much more than the things that he does? And the promise that he gives us is so much greater than the things that we will see him do on this earth. How much greater is the things that are promised to us than the things that we have to endure in this world? That is who who John is pointing us to. Not the miracle man, but the God of all authority who loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you, not just through the tough times in this world, but for all eternity. Here is the Jesus who brings life for all eternity. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you are the great I am, that you are in all things, 
You are in the struggling and you are in the celebrations. You were there at a wedding when people were joyful and you were there when somebody was, was breaking down because their child was dying. And you are present in all things. And who you are should always be enough for us because you have all authority over life and over death. And so when we put our faith in you, we have nothing to fear because you are above all things and you invite us into that place. And so God bless us and be with us and encourage us and may we never lose sight that you are with us in all things, whether you are performing miracles or you are just walking alongside us as we get through it. We thank you for your love for us that knows no bounds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.